People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGoal to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Another four games from game week 34 have passed us by. We've got just three games left, but we're here to cover them in great detail and help you find value in the betting markets. The man to help do that, as he always is, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Hello again, Jake. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, coming off the back of a couple of winners as well last night, obviously with Burnley getting a, a win against West Ham. Both teams to score in the Brighton Liverpool game and over three and a half in the City Newcastle match. So um, yeah, we're in pretty good form as the Infogol model. So hopefully we can roll that on to Thursday. Yeah, it pains me to say it, but the the writing was on the wall for the the Burnley West Ham result, wasn't it? But we'll move on. Three new fixtures to look at. Forget about that, and we'll we'll get into it. You ready? Yes. Let's get started. Right, so we've got Bournemouth versus Tottenham. Bournemouth, obviously, a, a team that are in real big trouble down the bottom of the table. Second from bottom now on goal difference, four points from safety. And the worst part is this is, I mean, it's probably the easiest game they've got left. If if they don't get something out of this, it's it's really difficult to see how they how they stay up. They're they're down the bottom for a reason, apart from the odd two or three game spell. Their process has been really poor from start to finish. 1.2 expected goals for per game and 1.8 expected goals against over that 33 game period. That's really relegation form and I don't think they can have too many complaints with where they are in the table. I personally expected them to kind of come back fighting, but their joint bottom on form with Norwich, I think it is something like seven losses in the last eight matches. Maybe signs of promise going forward against Manchester United with that 1.94 XG, but they still conceded 2.51. So although that 5-2 was probably a bit of an unfair scoreline, you can't really say they deserved anything but a loss in that game. As for Tottenham, they're now down to 10th after Burnley's win and they probably deserve to be even lower based on the performances we've seen. When you consider they've got the likes of, I mean, Harry Kane, Heung-Min Son, Deli Alli, Lucas Moura, Giovanni Lo Celso, I could go on. When you think of these kind of players, you don't think of a team creating the same expected goals per game as the likes of Burnley who are actually above them in the table no disrespect to Burnley obviously but I mean they're creating less than Southampton Brighton and even West Ham right down the bottom and it's it's not as if they're built on a strong defense either they're they're giving up more expected goals per game than Watford who are obviously a team just above the relegation zone we've said it before it's a it's a long-running issue and although Tottenham probably just want to get this season over so they can hit the reset button come back and give it another go next season they need to do a lot more than that I personally don't know what that is I don't I don't think Mourinho knows what it is to be honest either but despite all of those struggles and all the worries the market does still think that Spurs are good enough to get the win here their odds of 1.699 give them a, a 57% chance to win Bournemouth just a 19% chance at 5.06 the draw is priced at 4.10 which is 24% chance We've also got a 2.5 and 3 on the goals market. So 
I've kind of talked about how these two haven't been that great going forward, but maybe because they're both so bad at the back, we might actually get to see some goals. Um, what does InfoGoal suggest for this one? Yeah, we're, we're thinking along the same lines as yourself, Ben, in terms of two really poor defensive teams uh, battling it out. Obviously, both teams are in desperate need of victories as well for um, to reach their their current goals, which is obviously Bournemouth survival and, and Spurs a European place. Um, yeah, Bournemouth they showed a little bit of um, a little bit of life against Manchester United. I think, like you said, the five two really did flatter Manchester United in that game with with Bournemouth creating around. 1.94 expected goals, which was by far and away their best attacking performance for a good long while. Um, but nonetheless, it was another defeat. And that defeat is actually their 17th in the last 22 Premier League games. So just shows you just that this form hasn't been, um, you know, the three or four or five games. It's, it's been pretty much the majority of the season where they've been losing games. Um, and, you know, even if they'd drawn three, four, five of those games that they've lost, they would have been in a much better position. But because of the defensive vulnerabilities, they are finding it very difficult to pick up any sort of points. Um, yeah, they, like I said, they looked a, a bigger threat last time out. They needed to um, to improve their attacking process because what we'd seen since the restart had been pretty tame, really. 0.55 against Crystal Palace, 0.13 against Wolves and just 1.21 against Newcastle. So um, between those three matches, they'd created around a similar number as what they did in the Manchester United game. So there are positives to take from that. And I do think that, that that was due to them taking a much more attack-minded approach rather than um, uh, being more, uh, cagey with the with the setup and, and with the, the dynamics of the team. So that that's a really interesting um, angle in. Just like I said, they, they have to get the win. You said there that this is one of their easier games um, remaining in the season. So it just put a lot of pressure on them to get a win. Um, and, you know, they need a win given the fact that West Ham and, and Watford are obviously four points clear now of, of, of Bournemouth um, and West Ham managed to, like we said, lose to Bournemouth, Burnley last last night. So um, the door is, is open a little bit for them. Um, but, you know, although Tottenham aren't really the, the, the team of yesteryear, they're still not a bad side. Um, having said that, Bournemouth's home process is, is much better uh, than their away process, which does, again give a little bit more uh, confidence to Bournemouth um, and Bournemouth supporters because um, what they saw against Manchester United was much more like it really and, and what we've come to see, expect from Bournemouth, which is them to create loads of good chances but also concede loads of good chances and that they, they drifted away from that somewhat this season. So at home they've averaged 1.34 expected goals, four per game and away it's at one, uh, sorry, against 1.65. So they're still conceding good chances but Compare that to their away process where they're averaging just 1.16 expected goals for uh, and allowing two expected goals against. There's a real big difference there. So home comforts will be um, you know, much appreciated, I think, for Eddie Howe on his side. Spurs were, um, well, let's just say that that, that Tottenham-Everton game is not going to be one for the history books. It's Well, not in a good way anyway. It was an absolutely shocking watch. A uh, deflected goal that, that split the sides and it was a game in which we saw just over uh, around 1.2 expected goals between the sides, which um, wasn't what we expected given the, the attacking firepower on offer from both sides. But um, as we've become accustomed to with Jose Mourinho and his Spurs team, they really don't, um, they really aren't a very potent attacking team. They don't create many good chances. They don't um, dominate the football, pass through the lines very well. And that is despite having some really top quality attacking players in you know, the likes of Lacelso, Hummin Son, Stephen Bergvine, Harry Kane. Um, you know, obviously, that that is 
a, a serious worry for um, for Spurs moving forward, and even more of a worry is, is looking at, at, at Spurs' performance since Jose Mourinho took over. So they played twenty one games um, since Jose Mourinho took charge. I think his first game was against West Ham on the the twenty third of November. Um, and in that time, their process has been 1.4 expected goals, sorry, 1.48 expected goals for per game and 1.59 against. So they're averaging, um, well, they've got a negative process under Jose Mourinho, which is uh, which is worrying. And, and that applies to both at home and away from home. Um, away from home, they've, they've picked up 12 points from 10 games. Um, the process is at 1.57, 1.67. So still, you know, quite comfortably negative and, and according to expected points they've been only the the tenth best away team since Jose Mourinho took charge. And if you expand that home uh, that away form over the course of the, the whole season, Spurs have won just three times on the road in, in sixteen league games, which is a staggeringly low number. Um, and it also really highlights just what an absurd price uh, Tottenham are for this game. Um, they're going off at around fifty seven percent, which is you're looking at around one point six six which is just staggeringly short for a team that's won just three times away from home. Uh, they've lost seven of their 16 away games. Um, they went off odds-on favourites against Sheffield United in the last away match, and they were comfortably beaten, um, and rightly so. Um, and, you know, the previous away game in the league um, before that was was away at Burnley, and they conceded over 3.7 expected goals. So... Um, they don't really travel very well, do Tottenham. So that, that makes this, this price about them to get the win here just even more baffling. Um, and the fact that they, they are struggling in attack is, is another serious question mark. Um, you know, they generate just 0.47 against the same Manchester United team that Bournemouth racked up 1.9 against. Um, barring the West, West Ham really didn't look too threatened by Spurs until the own goal opened the game up. Um, and then obviously against Sheffield United, they created just 1.08 uh, and against Everton 0.65. So they're a Spurs team that are struggling to create. They could well find it a little bit easier here against Bournemouth because of obviously Bournemouth's um, poor defensive record. But I can't be having Tottenham at, at, at that sort of price. That for me isn't really a backable price for this Tottenham team. Um, and the model agrees. The model thinks that, that Spurs should be around 39% favourites. So, we're giving them an 18% less chance uh, of winning this than, than the market, which is uh, staggering, really. And, and obviously, the, the value plays just to oppose Spurs, whether that's be with Bournemouth or the draw on the double chance market or uh, Bournemouth plus 0.5 in the Asian handicap. Um, you might even get a decent price on Bournemouth plus one and a half if, if you think that Spurs will win, um, but, but Bournemouth can keep it tight. That, that for me, is, is the only way to play this. There's no way I can get on board with Spurs winning at, at that price. And, and the model thinks that, that the price that, that's on offer is pretty laughable, really. Um, and as for the goals market, you said there, two poor defences going at it. Goals likely, uh, the overs is around 1.8, 54%. The model suggests around a 60% chance um, of over two and a half. So there's, there is a bit of value in, in going for a high-scoring game. We're expecting it to be open because both teams need to get three points. Um, for the respective causes, as, as I've already mentioned. So um, that, that to me, is another really interesting bet, as is the both teams to score, where it's around 55% on the market. Um, the model's at 62%, so there's good value there. Um, so, yeah, a high-scoring game in which um, Bournemouth really caused Tottenham some uh, some problems. But for me, the, the main bet is, is just to just to oppose Tottenham or, at the very least, get Bournemouth on side with a plus-one-and-a-half goal head start. And with Tottenham... Regardless of, of what happens in this game, 
as I said before, we've we've talked about Tottenham and how these issues stretch back kind of, well, it's over 12 months now, isn't it? And it's it's difficult to kind of pinpoint. I kind of rattled off a list of players there with, with the likes of like Harry Kane, Deli Alley and stuff like that. The quality is is clearly there in the squad. But for some reason, the performances, it, it just doesn't translate into performances on the pitch. And when things go on for 12 months, it, there must be real kind of panic going on at that club. And it's like, I'm struggling to understand where things go wrong. Is there is there anything there from you, do you think? I mean, I know the defence is kind of getting a little bit older. The the group have been together. Obviously, Ericsson's gone. Is there anything from looking at the data that you can maybe pinpoint where things are actually going wrong for Tottenham and, and what they need to change? Um, from the expected goals data, the only uh, the, the the big obvious um, is uh, the complete switch in in um, expected goals for and expected goals against process. Where uh, two years ago under Pochettino they were averaging around two expected goals, allowing just one, and now it's 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 nearly flipped on its head in terms of they're averaging much fewer much less expected goals for per game and, and allowing much more, which basically means that they've, they've fallen from a top four team to a mid-table team. And um, I think the reason for that is just a lack of creativity. Um, I think they're not passing the ball through the lines quick enough. They're, they're not doing what they used to do um, under Pochettino, which was obviously press high when the ball when the ball high up the pitch um, with turnovers and, and hurt the team, their opponents that way. They're not doing that at all under Jose Mourinho. Um, they're sitting back more, which is obviously inviting more pressure and inviting more chances. Um, so th- there's a lot going wrong there. I think that the, the you could make an argument for some of the players perhaps being a little bit overhyped as well. Um, a lot like players, for example, like Ndombele, who everyone says is, is going to be fantastic. I saw him at Leon. He did impress me really against Manchester City. But from what I've seen um, when he's played for Tottenham, he hasn't really stood out. Uh, whether that's just a system, I'm not too sure. Um, but even you know, even Harry Kane since his comeback, he, he hasn't really looked the same player as what he was um, even a year ago, where he was <clears throat> where he was getting across the front line, pressing, um, where he was taking loads of shots every game. He, he's very conservative now, and um, that's a big issue given the fact that obviously he is their main marksman, he's their talisman. So um, there's a lot of issues there. I think quite a lot of the back line as well need replacing. Obviously. Um, it, at the start of restart, Mourinho opted against p- uh, picking Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Uh, he went with uh, Eric Dyer and uh, Davinson Sanchez, um, and you know they looked okay, but they looked far from uh, far from solid. Um, and obviously, Dyer's now got a, a match, a four match ban, so he'll not be able to play. Um, and you know, Aurier is always li- li- liable for to make a, a defensive error. Uh, ben Davis is a pretty solid left back, but he doesn't offer anything going forward. So there's, a, there's just a lot going wrong there, and there's a lot of imbalance in the team uh, that needs fixing. But obviously, in the current climate, with the uh, with what's happened and, and how you know how much money it's cost football uh, clubs to be out, of, be it, well, not be playing for three or four months, it's going to be difficult for Spurs to um, to put the hand in the pocket and, and sort of buy players to improve that squad. Right, Everton versus Southampton is our next game and we've just spent some time being fairly negative talking about how bad the the previous two sides are. Maybe we can be a little bit more positive about these two. Uh, we've, we've talked up Everton a bit this season, especially since Ancelotti came in and I mean, although I kind of say I want to be positive about them, they, they have been quite disappointing since the restart. The You mentioned there the, the match against Tottenham. I mean, it's 
the worst match this season, probably the worst game I can remember watching for quite some time. 0.5 xG in that game, 1.21 in their 2-1 two, uh, two win against Leicester, 0.81 in the 1-0 away win at Norwich, 1.13 in the 0-0 draw with Liverpool. I mean, two wins, a draw and a loss isn't too bad, but 0.92 xG per game in that period is a it's a far cry from the season average of 1.6. And I guess the positive is that they've kind of tightened things up at the back. But for me personally, I enjoyed watching the the entertaining Everton side. And I was hoping with, with nothing to play for, we might see a little bit more of that. And maybe we will see it against Southampton. Southampton themselves are being, I mean, I'd label it very Southampton this season. 12th in the table, should comfortably be in the top half. Obviously a massive win against Manchester City and... That was one that they were pretty fortunate to get, let's be honest. But perhaps they would do it a slice of luck based on how they've played this season. Danny Ings obviously gets the headlines, but they're, they've got a very balanced squad. Everyone seems to do their bit and contribute. A, a well-rounded team with everyone who, who knows their role and, and what they're supposed to do, led by a very good manager. Um, I think they could potentially be one to watch next season. But now, much like Everton, they, they don't really have anything to play for. Um, in terms of the odds... Everton are the better team based on the, the actual table and the expected table, and they're the, they're the better team according to the odds as well. With home field advantage, Pinnacle has them at 2.18, which is a 40, 45% chance of three points. Southampton are 3.49, so around 28%, and the draw is also close to 28% at odds of 3.53. This one, I'm hoping it should be a good game, not a repeat of Everton versus Tottenham. Do you think there's any value there for the betters? Uh, we do. We, we think there's, there's good value in getting on, on side with Everton. Um, I know you said there they've been pretty disappointing since the restart, but um, you know let's not forget they they drew with Liverpool in the first home game back and then beat Leicester City in the second home game. So home um, matches at Goodison Park do seem to get the best out of them in terms of um, results and underlying process uh, over the course of the season. So Although that Spurs game was was extremely disappointing, I, I don't know what happened to Everton. Um, they really didn't just didn't turn up from in an attacking standpoint. Um, but they were unfortunate to lose. Really, it should have finished nil nil that game, um, according to the chances created by both teams. Uh, that would have been a fair reflection. So, um, yeah, they, they've not really come back firing on all cylinders. Everton, um, obviously, prior to the break, they were averaging around two expected goals per game under Ancelotti, and, and that's obviously. Um, on uh, declines since the break, uh, since the restart, 1.1 against Liverpool, 0.8 against Norwich, 1.2 against Leicester and 0.5 against Tottenham. So they aren't really creating um, as many good chances regularly as they were pre, uh, pre-break. pre But I just think that's probably rhythm. I think that they'll eventually come back. Um, one thing that does concern me a bit with Everton is their midfield. Um, I think against Tottenham, it was, it was uh, Andre Gomez and Gilfie Sigurdsson starting as a two-man midfield. Um, which doesn't really fill me with confidence. Um, obviously, that they're both pretty good ball players in terms of progressing the ball through the lines, but um, in terms of getting a foot in and winning the ball back, and then um, and and the defensive side of the game, they don't really do too much of that. So um, that's a little bit of a worry. But other than that, I'm I'm pretty confident in Everton's ability. Um, like I said, since Ancelotti's come in, they've been one of the better teams in the league. They sit sixth in our table um, on expected points and expected goal difference since Ancelotti took over, which was Boxing Day. Um, and the process in that time has been 
really impressive. Not 1.84 expected goals for, 1.22 against. So only City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United and Wolves have, have, have well, both better um, expected goals process than Everton in that time. So it is really positive what's happening. The, the only issue they've had in that time is actually taking the chances. They've scored just 20 times in 15 games under Ancelotti. Um, uh, from chances equating 27.5 expected goals. So they should have had around seven or eight more goals more, which obviously could have made a massive difference. And um, and to be honest, they haven't really put in too many bad performances that I can remember um, since he took over. Obviously, uh, expected to lose at Manchester City. Um, deserved the three points at West Ham and at home to Newcastle. Deserved at least a draw at Arsenal. Uh, deserved to beat Manchester United. I think the only bad game I've, I've seen Everton play, uh, or especially from an expected goals perspective, was um, was at Chelsea where they got beat 4-0. So um, they do tend to be in games um, and, and I do feel like they will start creating good chances um, as the season does come to a close, just as they find their rhythm. It's been a long layoff for, for them and, and it does seem as though that they're a little bit out of sync. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm willing to give them another chance. I think this price is is um, is a really nice price. It's a juicy price for Everton at home. Um, yeah, especially given the fact that, like I said, that the home home record under Ancelotti has been um, been pretty impressive. Um, yeah, and the, the process under Ancelotti at home is, is fantastic. One point nine expected goals for one point one eight against. So. Really positive for, for Everton coming into this game. And then Southampton obviously won three of the four games since the restart. And the the other game was obviously a 2-0 defeat against Arsenal where the goalkeeper McCarthy basically gave Arsenal the lead and then gave them a second. So <clears throat> it's um yeah, it's gonna be a tough test for Everton. This Southampton team are, are really good. They've impressed us all season long. This is eighth in our XG table. Um and Although they were extremely fortunate against Manchester City to come away with a 1-0 win, having allowed 3.5 expected goals. Um, it was um, a moment of brilliance from Trey Adams, which um, I think he's, he's been waiting for that his, the whole season. It's his first Premier League goal. Um, and, you know, a stubborn defensive display. Um, it's yeah, Just to put it in perspective, I think against Leicester, Southampton conceded around 4.9 expected goals and conceded nine goals. And against City, they conceded three and a half expected goals and kept a clean sheet. So um, they did ride the look a little bit, well, a lot in that game. Um, but, you know, it was a rare home win for them. Their, their away form's been uh, the deciding factor in their season, really. They've picked up 26 points away from home, which is the fifth most um, in the league. Uh in terms of expected goals numbers, they boast a minus expected goal difference, which is um, suggesting that the results that they have attained on the road, perhaps not all of them have been warranted. And, and you know, that that would not be the case really against Norwich and Watford, two teams that are in relegation battle. They went there and won the XG battle. Obviously against Norwich, it was much more convincing than against Watford. But um, positive signs to Southampton. Like you said, this is really a, a, a mid-table uh, battle between Two teams that have that have really impressed us. Everton sixth in the XG table, Southampton eighth, uh, just a point between them. So we should see a good game. Um, they should be playing um, with pretty, you know, pretty freely both of these teams, given the fact that they can't go down and are, are pretty unlikely to to get into European spots. So we should be in for a good game. Um, I will just point out, like I said, Southampton's away process is negative. They've allowed one point six two expected goals against per game on the road. Um, Everton at one point nine three expected goals four per game at home. So um, they're the main reasons why we really like Everton in this and obviously the price, uh, getting them at odds against. I think that's 
I think they were they were odds on before the Tottenham loss, um, and and ever since the defeat to Tottenham, they've drifted and drifted to around two point two, which is a um, you know it's a big surprise really for me. Uh, <clears throat> we're giving them a sixty one percent chance of getting the win, so there's a huge amount of value really in getting on side with Everton. I won't put anyone off backing them at that price either, to be honest. Um, uh, but a bet that I do quite like the look of is the over two and a half, where again the market goes odds against for the overs, which is. It is somewhat surprising. Um, the model goes 62% chance of over two and a half. So you're seeing around a 15% um, margin there, which is huge value. Um, and both teams to score marginal value, 55% on the market, 58% on the model. Um, so yeah, the two bets I really like in this is just getting Everton on side. And, and I, I do like the overs in this. I think we could see quite a um, quite an entertaining game between two sides that don't really have too much to play for. Do you think potentially one of the, the difficulties with a game like this is maybe... Like you said, it, it could be that they've got nothing to play for. They play a bit freely, but then also potentially the managers might look to that squad. You mentioned about Che Adams scoring against Manchester City. He's found it a little bit difficult to get a game because of how well Danny Ings is playing. It could be that Houston Hartle then kind of gives Che Adams his chance in the latter part of the season because there's nothing to play for. I know, I know you get kind of more prize money the higher up the table you finish, but do you do you read into the idea of like these dead rubbers and kind of there's there's a lot more unknowns going on here or do you just think it's a it's a standard game just as it would be kind of 10 15 games into the season um i think you've got to do a bit of digging first uh, before we we can really call it a dead rubber because um you know i had a look at what carlo ancelotti was saying um post tottenham and and obviously his pre pre match press conference for this game and he basically he he's, he says that everton need to win for the last five, if they're going to get into Europe, so obviously he he's still got the mindset of Everton still being able to compete for that seventh or eighth spot, which um, to me suggests that Everton are going to be playing hard in this game to get the win. Um, as for Southampton, they you know they're a point behind. They, they 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 seem to be playing freely ever since the restart. To be honest, um, I thought against Norwich in the second half they were just winging it really and, and impressing with with a couple of big good finishes, and the same against Watford where. Um, you know, I think that, especially for a coach like Ralph Hasenhutl, it really is um, prime. Uh, it's a prime time now for for him to start getting his players, um, you know, ready for next season, really, and, and getting some of his ideas across that perhaps haven't sunk in over the course of the season. So we're starting to see a lot more high press from Southampton, which obviously paid dividends against Watford with Danny Ings's goal uh, that he obviously sniffed out a chance there when Ben Foster threw it out. Um, I just, yeah, I think I think. In terms of Everton, from what I've heard, they're going to be still pushing for a European spot, whether that's likely or not. Um, as for Southampton, I just think that they're they're playing with a serious freedom at the minute, and um, they've got a, a pretty settled lineup. So I'd be surprised if 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 anything changes from Southampton's perspective, and um, <clears throat> Everton are going to be going for the win. Um, I won't quite call this a dead rubber just yet, because if Everton do get the win in this, they they move to forty seven points, which would put them just three points behind Arsenal in eighth. Um, so, you know, they've still got some uh, something to play for, although they have got some tough fixtures coming up. So, um, yeah, it, it, I mean, we'll get more dead rubbers later in the year, uh, or in, probably at the weekend, actually. But, um, yeah, that, that it, it can be difficult to price those games up because, like you said, managers rotating players, trying out some young players, um, trying out new tactics that, that might look very strange to the untrained eye. So, it can be difficult, but um, in terms of the model, it just runs um, pretty much the same, really. And, and obviously, it's down to 
the people interpreting the, the model to try and piece some bits together and select the best bet. So, yeah, like I said, I, I think that given what we've seen from Everton and Southampton, <coughs> um, especially from what we've heard from Everton's uh, manager, I do think that we could be in for a, a quite a competitive game here rather than a, uh, a game in which both teams are on the beach and you know happy to play out a nil-nil draw. Aston Villa versus Manchester United is our, our last game of game week 34 and probably one for these batch of figures that's the most important at both ends of the table. Aston Villa occupying the third and final relegation spot at the moment. Manchester United clearly still in the hunt for that top four finish and, and Champions League qualification. I think credit where where credit's due, Aston Villa have been a bit better since the restart. They're, they're yet to get a win and obviously results are more important than performances when you've got five games left and you're battling for relegation. But I had them down as, as dead and buried before the restart. Um, but they've come back. They they look like they could potentially pull a few wins out of the bag. It's it's obviously going to be difficult with, I mean, they've got Crystal Palace potentially winnable. Everton, we've just said, are a good team. Arsenal seem to be in a bit of form. And then obviously that massive final day game against West Ham and that could potentially be the decider. This game is, is probably the toughest of the lot. Um, Manchester United are in great form across all competitions. They haven't lost in eight or nine league games. I think there's also seven, six or seven wins in there. They're in the semi-final of the FA Cup, pretty much guaranteed quarterfinals of the Europa League. I think if they can catch Leicester or Chelsea and get into the top four, this will probably go down as a a pretty decent season for them. They have had a couple of poor runs of performances and results through the middle of the season. And when you kind of look at that and zoom out into the, the context of the whole season, a top four finish might be a little bit fortunate for them. But They've come into form at the right time and they're going to be confident of getting another win here and keeping that pressure on Leicester and Chelsea. Um, the market is pretty confident on them as well. They've got a 74% chance of getting three points with with Pinnacle's odds at 1.317. The draw is 5.67 or 17% and Villa are given just a 9% chance of what would be a, a really important win with their odds at 1043 United are on the road. They may be informed, but they they have had their struggles. They're playing a Villa side that are, are desperate for a result. Some improved performances, particularly at the back. Should United be this short? Do you think? Um, the model doesn't think they should be this short. Um, we've got them at a sixty percent chance. So we've still got them quite heavy odds on favourites, but um, not to the extent that the market has. And I just think that, like I said before, the model in terms of how it calculates the percentages, it, it works off a pretty much a 38-game season, but weighted by the, the I think, most recent 10 matches or 15 matches. So it's still catching up with Manchester United's pretty good run of form. I think they're nine unbeaten in the league now. So it, it, it's still catching up with the rating. And obviously, week by week, the rating uh, in our back end obviously improves for Manchester United having performed so well and, and obviously racked up really impressive expected goal numbers. So um, I think if, if they carry on playing the way they are, we'll start seeing these sorts of prices for United when they go and visit these sorts of teams, um, either early end of next se- this season or early next season. So um, they are trending in a really positive direction on Manchester United, but a team that isn't is Aston Villa. So um, obviously beaten 2-0 by Liverpool last weekend. Uh, they, they were second best according to expected goals, but they did a decent job of limiting Liverpool, which is, is not something that, that many teams manage to do um, or manage, have managed to do this season. They, they allowed just 0.82 expected goals, um, which is a really decent return. And that followed on from a 0.64 performance against Wolves um, as well. So 
what we have seen is is that defensively they have improved since the break. Um, but nonetheless, the defeat against Liverpool um, and obviously Watford's win on Tuesday means that Villa are four points from safety with five games left. So every single game for Villa is now crucial. And obviously, you mentioned there that they've got a a trip to West Ham on the final day that could be t- decisive, but they're going to have to pick up some points in between um, now and then for, for that to be the case. Otherwise, they'll already be relegated. Um, like I said, since the restart, Villa have looked so much more tighter at the back. <clears throat> I mean, you know, I'll just read off five of the, the, the last five matches before the restart where they, they allowed 1.97, 2.8, 3.89, 3.2, 2.3 expected goals. Um, and the five since the restart has been 0.36, 1.4, 0.79, 0.64, 0. 0.82. So only one game, which was against Chelsea, have they allowed more than one expected goal. And the pre-break expected goal against average was 2.41, post-break at 0.8. So we have seen a real improvement in the defensive process. Um, And obviously, it's a small sample size. But like I said, during that stretch, we played three teams that sit in the top four of our XG table, which is Chelsea, Wolves and Liverpool. So extremely promising signs from a defensive standpoint. But there's a big but. The defensive solidity um, that they've been craving all season has come at a bit of a cost. Um, you know, although they've been much more solid and hard to beat and hard to break down, they've still not won any of the matches. And the the reason for that is because they're struggling to create. So they've averaged just 1.14 expected goals for per game since the restart. Um, and prior to the break, they were averaging around 1.4. So while we have seen a, um, a really impressive drop in, in expected goals against We've also seen a drop in expected goals for which um, when you're at the bottom of the table, you need to be winning games and not drawing them. And, and if they keep averaging that 1.14 and 0.8 as they are doing post-break, it's likely that they're going to draw more games and they're going to win. And they're going to lose more games that they're going to win because of uh, the, the tight nature of the matches. And obviously the teams that they're playing against have got higher quality players. So, um, you know, at some point they're going to have to open up again and and. and try and create good chances. And the only way they can do that is playing a more free flow and attacking um, game plan, which would obviously leave them more exposed at the back. Um, they need wins. And like I said, that level of attacking process just isn't going to get them that those wins. So at some point, they're going to have to revert to the, the pre-break Villa, who were more vulnerable, but uh, were more, more potent in attack. So especially at home, they're averaging around 1.5 expected goals for per home game. So... Um, that's promising heading into this game, but the, if they keep focusing on defence, then they're not going to be creating too many good chances. But, you know, this is a good time as any to revert back to that more attack-minded approach. Um, obviously, we spoke about Bournemouth earlier. They've created some decent chances against Man United. They wrapped up nearly or over 1.9 expected goals, showing that there are still some vulnerabilities in that United team. So this is a good opportunity for Villa if they do want to open up and, and have a, um, you know, have a go at breaking down Manchester United and creating good chances. So they, they really need to throw the kitchen sink at some point. And, you know, why not in this game? Obviously, um, Man United are in excellent form at the minute. Um, it doesn't look like there's any stopping them either, given the fact that they're, they're now nine games unbeaten in Premier League, um, stretching pre-break and post-break. 5-2 win over Bournemouth. Um, that, that means that that was a sixth win in those nine matches. And in that time, they've played... Spurs, Sheffield United, Manchester City, Everton, Chelsea and Wolves. So it's not like they've played a lot of the the lesser teams and beaten them. Um, 
And that was the third straight game that they won by three or more goals. Um, and if they win this game by three or more goals, then they'll actually broke a Premier League record, or they'll be the first team to to ever win three straight Premier League games by uh, sorry four straight Premier League games by a three goal margin, which would be some impressive feat, really, given given the fact that earlier on in the season United were really struggling, and and basically if they were winning, it was a very narrow mar- margin of victory. So. Um, and you know that that actually extends even further. All of their wins during this time, this little mini run, six wins in nine matches. All six wins have have been by a, a margin of at least two goals. So even against Chelsea, Manchester City, Sheffield United, they, you know they've won all of those games pretty comfortably according to the scoreline. Um, though only one of their sorry, only three of the last nine league games um, has seen Man United generate. Uh, more than one expected goal, or one or more expected goals than their opponents, uh, and that was against Watford, Spurs, and Sheffield United. So all of the all the games, while the results have been pretty lopsided in United's favour, um, the results actually suggest uh, sorry the xG actually suggests that the games were a lot tighter, which obviously gives Villa a lot of hope in this game. Um, it's been really interesting to watch this United team develop since Bruno Fernandes has come into the into the team. Uh, obviously, Paul Pogba's returned post-break and they seem to have a, a really good understanding and partnership already. Um, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems to have reverted to a, um, a Manchester United approach of yesteryear, which is attack, attack, attack. Um, and it's really good to watch. They've been really entertaining. They've created plenty of chances. Um, but as we mentioned already, Bournemouth did cause them some issues. Prior to the Bournemouth game, um, in the first three games since the break, they allowed just 1.05 expected goals against combined um, against Tottenham, Sheffield United, Brighton. Um, and then they played Bournemouth and allowed 1.94, which was a little bit strange, really, given what we'd seen from them. And obviously, Bournemouth were in an identical predicament to Villa, um, suggesting that if Bournemouth can create against Man United, why can't Villa? Um Bournemouth had a go at them, which is something that the three previous opponents didn't really do. They all just sat in and, and let Manchester United dominate the ball and, and create good chances. Um, so if Villa have a go at them, I, I do think that they could cause Man United a few problems. Um, one thing to say about United, though, is that they've been extremely clinical since the break. They've scored 12 times from chances equating to 7.9 expected goals. Obviously, Mason Greenwood's in excellent form. Um, he's getting all the headlines he's in he's been extremely clinical this season he scored eight goals from chances equating to 2.8 expected goals which is staggering really um for you know you only have to look at some of his finishes to to understand why that is he's shooting from tight angles from uh, from a distance and getting so much power behind the ball um his two goals against Bournemouth were both like that the weekend um so yeah it's going to be hard for Villa to get something but I think the only way that they are going to get anything from this game is if they have an if they attack, if they create chances, um, can they can they do that? There, there is a possibility that they can. It's going to be difficult because they are going to leave themselves exposed to a very good attacking team in, in Manchester United. But I do think that the Villa can at least get on the score sheet as Bournemouth did, and, and that's really the main angle for for my favourite bet in this, which is both teams to score. Obviously, Villa have struggled to score since the break. They've scored in just two of the matches against Newcastle and Chelsea. Um, but like I said, at some point, the kitchen sink is going to have to be thrown. I think this is a good opportunity for that to happen. Um, the, the market has got both teams to score around 50%. Um, the market goes 56%. So there's a decent bit of value there in, in backing the both teams to score. 
Overs is also a pretty strong favourite on the market and the model. 60% on the model, 58 on the market. And as I've said, there isn't too much value in the 1x2 market. So from this, uh, I really think that the best bet is, is to get with uh, both teams to score. There's also a, a, a goal scorer bet that I found a bit of value in, which is Marcus Rashford to score first. Um, he leads the team in um, in expected goals per 90 at 0.68. Obviously, he, he took a penalty at the weekend, which is always a positive for a first goal scorer. Um, we think that he should be priced up at around 3.3 for uh, first goal scorer, and I think he's around 3.7. So, good bit of value in backing Rashford to score first. Obviously, he's, he's been in exceptional form um, from a creative standpoint so far um, since he's returned from injury. But I think he can have the impact in the goal scoring from this, in this game. Well, there we go. That's all our fixtures for game week 34 done. Great chatting to you, Jake. Thanks for sharing some insight and and helping our listeners inform their predictions. My pleasure, Ben. And of course, we will be back again to do it all again tomorrow, four in four, that it keeps on moving. (laughs) Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you do want more information on InfoGoal or you want to look at the XG figures or other data across the Premier League and other European soccer leagues, then visit infogoal.net, follow at app on Twitter, and download the app on iOS and Android. Remember, you can also download the Pinnacle Live Scores app on iOS and Android. You can follow the odds in play, select specific games that you want to track, and set odds alerts so you get the price that you want. Remember, you can also download the Pinnacle Live Scores app on iOS and Android. You can follow the odds in play, select specific games to track, and set odds alerts so you get the price that you want. All of Pinnacle's odds for the remainder of Game Week 34 are available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.